Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show, the program that shines a spotlight on positive real estate development and neighborhood revitalization in the city of brotherly love. Coming to you live from the G-Town Radio Studio on Maplewood Mall in Germantown. Here's your host, Alina DeLisser. Hello, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to the Jumpstart Philly Real Estate Radio Show. My name is Alina, and my special guest today is Ken Weinstein of Philly Office Retail. I'm so excited that he's here with us today. Great. Thanks for having me, Alina. So Ken is an active entrepreneur and real estate developer in the Philadelphia area. He brought the construction work. (laughs) (laughs) Wherever I go, there's construction. (laughs) Um, He is president of Philly Office Retail, which has renovated and restored more than 300 vacant and rundown properties over the last 30 years. Philly Office Retail currently owns and manages more than 800,000 square feet of commercial and residential space in the Philadelphia region. He's also the founder of Jumpstart Germantown, which trains, networks, and provides funding to aspiring real estate developers in the community. It's also the program which launched this radio show. Um, So Ken's mission is to revitalize neighborhoods by renovating vacant, deteriorated properties along Philadelphia's commercial corridors, and he believes that you can do well by doing good. Welcome, Ken. It's great to have you on the show today. Great. Thanks again, Alina. So, Ken, tell us more about Jumpstart Germantown. What are the origins of this fabulous program? Um, Well, this started four years ago. It uh, feels like forever, but it's only been four years. And it really started by what we uh, heard as a need in the Northwest community. Um, A lot of people uh, would come to me and say, hey, I want to do what you do. Would you sit down with me? And of course, you know, everyone wants to pay it forward. So you would sit down with people and I would do that. I would sit, you know, sit with people for a half hour, hour. Um, And when I thought about it, though, I wasn't particularly helping them. I was acting more like a cheerleader. Hey, I did it. You can do it, too, you know. Um, And that's all good, you know. And then I'd send them out the door, and they would either get started or not get started. So I said, what happens if I started saying no to people on these one-on-one meetings and instead put a curriculum together and give them 11 hours of training, give them a mentor at the end of that training, and then give them uh, some of the funding they need in order to get started with their first, second, third projects. And that's exactly what we did four years ago. Great. And, of course, you were in our inaugural class four years ago, so it's great to see you again. So, so Ken, tell us um, to date, how many people, how many classes have you graduated? Uh, I don't know exactly, but okay. somewhere around 15 probably. Uh, we, oh, probably closer to 16. We have done uh, four year thus far. Uh, We've already done two classes this year. Uh, We started, as you know, with uh, 10 people at a time, like was in your class in in my uh, conference room. Uh, We then realized we were quickly falling behind in terms of number of applications, so we started doing 20 at a time. Um, Well, that is now, our current class is 72 
wow. uh, mentees and just trying to keep up with the demand. Wow, that's incredible. So why do you think the program has been so successful to date? I think it, we have uh, hit on a need, a desire in the community. People want to improve their own community. People want to be entrepreneurs. People want a nest egg for themselves and their family. Um, and so I think we, we struck on something um, that was always a need out there uh, that was unmet. So I'd like to just apologize to our listeners. As, as we started this interview, uh, Jackhammer crew, literally right outside our window, started jackhammering. It had been quiet all morning, and they just started. So um, hopefully everybody can hear us fine, but we're going we're gonna to plow, plow ahead. So, so Ken, tell us more about how the concept has expanded and grown into other parts of the city. So uh, a couple years ago, I got a surprise call from the Barra Foundation who said, hey, love what you're doing, hearing from a lot of people that you're being successful at getting people started in the real estate development world, and we would love to help you take that to the next level. I was like, okay. Um, we weren't necessarily looking to do that, um, but they offered us uh, a, a, a sizable grant in order to formalize our curriculum into a workbook and also to put together a how-to guide for other neighborhoods that wanted to repeat the success that we're seeing in Germantown and Northwest Philly. So tell us uh, more about the Barra Foundation, because a lot of our listeners might not know who they are and what they do. So what is, what is their it's just it, It's just a very responsive uh, foundation that is looking for the next great idea to help and, and then wants to help organizations scale their idea so more people can take advantage of it. So that's exactly what they did with Jumpstart. And they uh, even found a fiscal sponsor for us, uh, LISC, um, who also wrote the grant request. And so I really didn't have to do anything, which was pretty wonderful, and I could focus on Jumpstart. Uh, so they gave us these funds. Uh, we put together a PowerPoint presentation. Um, they even helped fund the first three additional Jumpstart programs. And suddenly we're at eight Jumpstart programs around the city and, and about to uh, start uh, first one uh, outside. Uh, oh, really? Of the city, which is exciting. Where's that one? Where's that one going to be? Uh, Wilmington. Wilmington, uh, Delaware. Yes, Wilmington will probably be the first one outside the city. But we're also talking to folks in Pottstown, and Norristown, and Scranton. Wow! Um, and we've gotten a sprinkling of calls from around the country: Salt That's Lake great. City, Newark, New Orleans. Um, so I think it's a matter of time before we see this concept go nationwide. But for now, uh, we have Jumpstart Kensington. Uh, Jumpstart Southwest Philly, Jumpstart West Philly, which is Belmont and Mantua, Jumpstart uh, Tioga just got started. I spoke at the opening a couple weeks ago. Jumpstart Olney, and uh, Jumpstart North Philly West, which is mostly Strawberry Mansion. Okay. Okay. Great. So, in terms of the criteria, what what is the criteria for a satellite chapter of Jumpstart Germantown? Uh, we've kept it pretty loose, to be honest. Um, we ask that they work with our, uh, uh, our workbook and our uh, curriculum and, and follow that, which they seem to be glad to do. Um, we ask that they embody sort of the philosophy of Jumpstart, uh, of improving communities while keeping gentrification at bay. Um, and they've all held uh, one or more training sessions and 
they're inspiring local people to develop in the community. So in terms of some success stories, what are some, um, some success stories that you're really, really proud of when you think of how far that per- particular project or that person has come? Um, we've had lots of success stories, which is pretty cool. Um, some of the most ex- uh, biggest success stories in my mind are people who either had not yet developed until going through the Jumpstart program or maybe had done one or two houses who have now quit their day jobs and have gone full-time into real, real estate development world. Um, people like Pollock Shah or Doug Dept, um, just, uh, you know, we've had dozens of them who have already made it their living and are doing really well and really improving the community, removing a lot of blight. Great. So, you know, a lot of neighborhoods in Philly have taken off and exploded in the last, you know, decade or so, um, but others have lagged. What do you think is behind that? Why, why has there not been kind of like a uniform explosion of real estate development? It's like pockets. Yeah, I, the definition for me, uh, uh, it's hot neighborhoods versus uh, uh, places like Germantown, which I consider middle neighborhoods. And why have the hot neighborhoods taken off? A couple things. One is um, their accessibility to Center City. So if you look at the hot neighborhoods and draw a circle around Center City, you're hitting most of them, right? It's it's Grad Hospital, it's Old City, it's uh, Bella Vista, it's Mm. Fairmount, it's, you know, it's everything touching Center City, uh, which makes sense because people want to uh, be near where their jobs are and still in the city, a majority of the jobs are in center city. The other factor I would say is uh, where transit is located. So if you take a circle, go go up the uh, uh, Market Frankfurt line and go up into the northeast and draw a circle around each of those stations, that's where development is happening. Um, and that certainly can and should be the case uh, in Germantown. If you drew a circle around each of the uh, uh, regional rail stations uh, be very powerful, and that's where people should focus. Right, right. So um, you currently serve as president of the Philadelphia Housing Development Corporation as a mayoral appointee, and you are also chair of the Mount Airy Business Improvement District. So you've seen a lot, you know a lot. Um, one of the roadblocks we were talking about uh, before the show started is something called council manic prerogative. It's recently been in the news. I had never heard about this before until you had mentioned this to me. Um, Can you tell our listeners what exactly council manic prerogative is? It sounds very ominous. Yeah, very (laughs) ominous. Uh, First of all, you're you're in the majority because most people have not heard of council manic prerogative. I was first uh, became aware of it when I was chief of staff to a city councilwoman in the early 90s at large, uh, Councilwoman Happy Fernandez. And I became aware that district council people have uh, almost 100% say on what goes on in their district in terms of land use, in terms of zoning, in terms of some funding issues. This is a rule that's not written down anywhere. It's not in the city charter. It's just an understanding. It's a gentleman's agreement. Or or a gentlewoman's agreement. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Uh, Gentleperson's agreement. We can agree on that. Um, 
but it, it really the you know people say well why don't you just end it well you got 10 district council members and you have seven at large council members so just by numbers if all 10 district council people respect each other and what they do in their district then they're always going to overrule the seven at large members so it's it's this understanding mm-hmm. um and sometimes uh, it works well, um, but often it uh, puts too much power in the hands of one person, one district council member. And of course, that's been in the press recently because there's been some questionable land use deals in several districts. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a number of people that are now aware of it, uh, want to end it, uh, including myself, and feel that. Um, we can be more efficient and effective without councilmanic prerogative. Mm-hmm. Can you can you talk a little bit specifically about how it affects, how it impacts neighborhoods? Um, is it is it what we're seeing? Where, I mean, I live in Germantown, and there's several areas, you know, places you drive by, and it's like, why doesn't somebody buy that building? Why doesn't somebody fix up that building? And so right. it could turn out that this is the reason why. This is one of the reasons why. That's right. I would probably say the worst. Uh, impact of councilmanic prerogative is uh, the non-sale of city-owned properties. The city is sitting on tens of thousands of uh, vacant land and vacant buildings that, in my mind, should be immediately put back on the tax rolls, either by selling to the highest bidder or by offering it up to affordable housing developers. Um, But why is the city in the business of holding on to vacant deteriorator properties that bring down our quality of life and hurt us financially by reducing our tax base? Right. And right. so that's uh, a, a big reason or a big cause of councilmanic prerogative that we have to be littered with these blighted properties. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes it feels like parts of Philly are um, frozen in time and not a good time, a distressed time. Uh, I saw a study or survey that was done a few years ago, I think it might have been by by the Pew Foundation, and I believe it said that Philadelphia was second only to Detroit regarding the number of abandoned wow. and vacant properties. Well, that uh, says was, a lot because, de- because Detroit has been so much in the news in terms of how much uh, vacant properties they're sitting on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's this incredible bureaucracy, this kind of black hole that a lot of these properties are trapped in. Um, I know that you were recently interviewed for um, a news article about this, the city, uh, the city's website for selling off thousands of publicly owned lots. Can you share with the audience your experience trying to buy um, vacant land through this city site? Sure. You're uh, referring to a Plan Philly article that w- came out this week. Uh, uh, Ryan Briggs uh, wrote a good article. And he pointed out as an example that we, uh, Philly Office Retail, has uh, pursued uh, the purchase of two city-owned properties, one of them sitting in the middle of Wayne Junction. It's it's a a difficult property to build on because it's triangular in shape, but it sits right at the entrance exit of Wayne Junction and could be a wonderful pocket park, could be... Uh, a a gateway to Wayne Junction with maybe some signage, you know, welcome, thanks for visiting, you know, sort of thing. And we pursued it. And uh, uh, the city on that one even offered it to us for a certain price. And uh, when we went to follow up, uh, 
just went dead and just sort of lack of transparency. Uh, we don't know what happened. The other one sits on Germantown Avenue that we've pursued. We immediately got a response from uh, public property uh, department and said, thanks for you know your interest. We'll get back to you shortly. Well, that was like six years ago. So still waiting. Again, black hole, lack of transparency. Uh, these kind of properties, either the city uh, and city council should say why they're holding on to them or they should immediately sell them. So what is really driving this? Is it just inertia or is it just fear of change? Um, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, if um, what's it going to take to kind of break through the logjam? I think uh, what it'll take is exposing uh, this as a method of holding properties. But I think, you know, you're asking a lot of questions and we can sit here and speculate why these properties are being held, but we're just speculating. We have no idea. Maybe they're being held by, for good reasons. Maybe they're being held for political reasons. We, we, we don't know, and that's the problem. Okay. It should be, there should be a lot more transparency, and we should do away with this system. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I know that one of the things, I, uh, you know, you're so active in the community, and you have been recognized um, for your community involvement. Um, you're the owner of the trolley car um, diner. I mean, you're, you, you, know, you live in the community. You, you love the community. You're active in the community. But as a real estate developer, you're still you know, exposed to charges that, oh, well, you're just going to gentrify the neighborhood or neighborhoods. Um, how do you respond to that charge? And how do you work to avoid being lumped into that, into that bucket? You mean everyone Is doesn't that- love me? <laughs> What are, you, what are you saying, Alina? Um, no, fair. Uh, very fair. And uh, by the way, I, and people are always surprised when I say this, I appreciate criticism because that makes me a better person and a better developer. So I want feedback. I know that's not what all developers say. Uh, a lot of them go into their cave and, and avoid uh, the community. Take but a defensive posture. You know, right? we do go out there. I'm active on Facebook. I'm active at uh, being at meetings and listening. and um, But that being said, you know, some criticism is fair and some criticism is, is misguided. Uh, in terms of gentrification, real issue. And again, a lot of developers uh, love to avoid the discussion of gentrification because it makes them very uncomfortable. Um, just as we have done with Jumpstart Germantown, we believe that you should improve communities um, and by keeping gentrification at bay. And I say that because any developer who says to you that they can develop and improve a community without gentrification, they're lying to you, okay? Um, what we can do is manage gentrification. We can keep gentrification down. How do we do that? Many ways. There isn't just one way. Um, but a lot of these uh, are some of the philosophies of Jumpstart Germantown, scattered site rehab rather than urban renewal, you know, knocking whole blocks down and starting over, killing the fabric of the community. Um, having developers or at least a majority of developers being local so that money being made and wealth being accumulated because of real estate stays in the community. People build nest eggs and, and then reinvest in, inside their community. Um, things like what PHDC are doing, Philadelphia Housing Development Corporation, um, spending tens of millions of dollars a year to keep low 
income people in their homes. So the people who have been in the community for many years, if their heater goes out, if their roof has a leak, instead of being forced to move, if PHDC can spend $15,000 fixing up their house, um, it enables them to stay long term. And again, uh, reducing displacement in the Mm -hmm. community. So there's many different methods, and we need to follow all of these methods, and people, including developers, need to pay attention. And yeah, to, to your point, um, I mean, you know, somebody who has you know, known you for a few years and has kind of watched you at a distance, I mean, you're very transparent. I mean, you, you, know, you go to meetings, and you have a lot of open town hall sorts of events where people can come and talk to you and, and get to know you. So it's not something where um, it's just kind of a an LLC <laughs> with a street right, address, right. and it's like, who's behind this, this entity? Right. So that's really, really important. Um, and, and by the way, it's something that we advocate strongly with uh, Jumpstart mentees that don't avoid the community, go out and engage the community. Even on a small scale, if you're going to buy a house and start renovating it, go knock on neighboring doors. Give them your cell phone number. Uh, there's an advantage for developers. Uh, neighbors can be the eyes and ears on your property 24-7. Uh, neighbors can be your marketing arm and help you lease and sell the property when you're done. So, you know, talk to the neighbors and communicate and, and be open with them. So when you launched uh, Jumpstart Germantown, what was, your, what was your initial vision for how it would work? I mean, was there, is there anything that, looking back, has surprised you in terms of how it is developed or how it has evolved? I have been blown away about how successful it's been. You know, sometimes you start projects or programs like this. I'm a social entrepreneur, so you identify a need in the community, and then you design something to fill that need. Um, I would have given it a 50-50 chance that it would have lasted six months and disappeared, um, but instead the opposite happened, and it exploded, and I had no idea that, you know, as of next Wednesday, we will have graduated 625 people through our program so far wow. and have loaned out more than $13 million to get them started with their first, second, third project. If you had said that to me four years ago, I would have called you a liar. And so why do you think, I mean, it's such a, it's such a great idea. It's an original idea. Why do you think uh, it hadn't happened before, before you developed it? Um, it, 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 it happened informally. There's something in real estate that I call the 80-20 rule. 80% of all people in real estate don't talk about what they do. You know, and this includes a lot of friends of mine. You just, okay. you just keep undercover. it to yourself and you keep it undercover because you think if, if you share information, it's going to be stolen from you. And then there's the other 20% of us, and I include my jump starters in this 20%. Hopefully it's 70-30 yeah. by now. Um, but in this 20% is, is uh, me and a lot of jump starters that believe by sharing resources, by sharing information, you can grow the pie and there's enough work or more than enough work for all of us. Um, so that's why I think it did not happen beforehand. Organically, it happened. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, right. lot of developers who would do what I do and spend an hour with somebody, maybe go speak to a group and right. introduce real estate development to them. But 
in terms of a program, you had to pay thousands of dollars. Uh, Trump University, for example. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. that's why some people refer <laughs> right. to uh, Jumpstart as Untrump University. Because <laughs> uh, you don't pay a whole lot or you pay nothing and you get a lot of information. So. Well, that's another thing, too. Yeah, the, in the real estate education sphere, I mean, there are a lot of hucksters out there and there's a lot of... Even the legitimate training can be very expensive. The multi-day, multi-weekend boot camps run to the back of the hotel, conference room, ballroom to get your stack of you know, right. downloadable materials or whatever like that. But with Jumpstart um, Germantown, it, it's a nominal fee, and the bulk of that fee is donated to Habitat for Humanity. Is that right, correct? Right. So I, I, other programs, I call them Get Rich Quick because not only – you know, I mean, I'm sure there's some good ones out there, but not only do they charge you, but often they gloss over um, the real issues in real estate development. So we have the seven, seven jump steps of real estate development that we teach, but it gives you a, also a broad picture. It talks about how to put your team together, how to decide what your niche is going to be, how do you figure out what neighborhood to go into before we even start talking about how to source properties. Um, so I think we're giving a broader approach to real estate development and talking about gentrification issues and other things. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, I think we have hit on something here that other people aren't offering. So the bulk of the people, I know that there, it's a cross section of people that uh, have participated in the program, but is there, is there a, a, a demographic profile? Do they come from certain, um, industries? Are they a certain age group? Can you tell us a little bit more about what the class uh, usually looks like from a participant profile. Sure. It, it's, uh, again, we didn't know when we started out. I actually, uh, when I started Jumpstart, I would say we are educating the next generation of real estate developers. Well, that's not the case. Um, we have uh, plenty of middle-aged people. We have uh, retirees that are looking for their next career. And we have young people. We've had high school students, college students. So it's age-wise, it's across the board. In terms of um, our breakdown of women and people of color, uh, more than 85% of our graduates are women or people of color, which are grossly underrepresented in, in the real estate world. So we're really proud of that. And again, it happened organically. That's where the demand is. Uh, more than half of our graduates are have some very close connection to Germantown, either live here or grew up here. Um, and I have no problem with outsiders coming in and wanting to invest in a community, but it's even better if a majority of the people investing in a community live in the community. So I think that's probably pr- part of the reason why um, the female representation has been so high is because people see that it's about helping the community. It's not about bringing investors from New York or from Boston <laughs> or from Atlanta right. to just kind of parachute in and buy up a couple of houses and fix and flip them. Right. And and it, it, since you brought up the subject, women have um, a uh, particular um, uh, view of real estate development, but also particular challenges because, uh, and we're upfront about it, contractors uh, take women less seriously. So what does that mean? That means they need to know the lingo. They need to be more confident in how to handle a contractor. And we, the third week of each of our classes, we spend at a construction site going over terms, going over construction uh, 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 order and all that kind of stuff so that 
when 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 people, particularly women, talk to contractors, they sound much more knowledgeable. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, can talk a little bit more about some uh, some newbie mistakes. What are what are some um, typical mistakes that a lot of new uh, real estate developers make. Wow, where do There's I start? Where you start? Okay. <laughs> I mean, people have said uh, that's the best part of Jumpstart is that we help uh, mentees avoid mistakes. Um, and a lot of our mentors, we have 19 mentors now in our program, and a lot of them, including myself, say, I wish I had had a program like this when we got started because we're making all these mistakes that hopefully we can help them avoid in order to get them started more quickly. But A couple mistakes in particular I would highlight is uh, skipping due diligence. People love to skip due diligence, you know, meaning asking a lot of questions, looking into environmental, uh, what are the construction costs, um, doing their pro forma, um, you know, all those kind of steps. And people love to just gloss over that and and they fall in love with the house and say, oh, yeah, I'll I'll offer 50,000. Well, why 50,000? I don't know. Right, you know, and then right. they end up overpaying because they skip their due diligence um, or maybe underpaying for that matter. Right. They're not offering enough for the house and they don't get a house because they didn't do their due diligence. So it goes both ways. Um, uh, secondly, I would say underestimating construction costs. It's something that we all love to do. I put myself in the same category. Right. Uh, we we have our rose colored glasses on. We're overly optimistic. And yeah, I think I can get this done for 40. I know my contractor said 60, but okay. I know I can do it for 40. Well, you know, your contractor is probably right, and they may be estimating low, so right. it might be 70. Uh, so they get themselves in a difficult position. Thirdly, I would say um, paying your contractors ahead. So if they have finished 50% of the job, don't pay them for 60%. Uh, pay them for 40%. You always want to pay behind a little bit. Be fair with your contractors. You want a good mm-hmm. relationship with them if you want them to stay with you for years. But the second you pay them ahead, they are going to go on to the next job. Wow. So the, one of the things that you you just mentioned was falling in love with the property. And I think that probably happens a lot because people think, is it a place where they would want to live? And so they That's want right. to renovate to the standard that would be their dream house or something that they would like a family member to live in. That's right. So can you talk a little bit more about how to keep the emotion out of the the buying decision? Because it it, it is a business and it is an investment. Right. It's not, it's not something, it's not a love object. Right. And particularly true in Germantown because uh, the architectural uh, nature of the housing stock is so attractive that we, you know, it's one of the things that attracted me to Germantown 30 years ago. So, um, yeah, that's definitely a big issue and you have to know why you're getting in. Are you, what's your game plan? We talk a lot about this in Jumpstart. Are you going to buy rehab and rent? Are you going to buy rehab and sell? Or are you going to buy rehab and live in it? And that changes, that decision changes how, what the renovation looks like and how far to go. And sure, if you're going to Live in it at the end of the day, which a number of jump starters have done. Yeah, you may want to over improve it to make it your own. If you're going to buy rehab and sell it, you want to be particularly interested in the market and what uh, types of renovation projects increase your price uh, and, and, and do those if they make sense. So, for example, um, we were talking about it this week in the class. We went to see Bruce McCall's house on uh, Tacoma Street. 
And uh, I said, okay, what was the cost of renovating the basement? And it was going to be whatever, fifteen, twenty thousand. 20,000. And the question then becomes, well, do you think you can get that much more in sale price? Well, probably not. Well, then you may not want to do it. So you just, you want to be honest about your construction costs and, and decisions that you're making. Right, right. So this is fascinating. Um, this sort of uh, education that you're giving people, and it's over the course of four weeks, right? Correct. Four weeks. Um, for a lot of people, I mean, this is kind of, for some people, this might be their very first exposure to even business, like how to run a business, how to, you know, profit and loss, um, dealing with contractors, dealing with um, suppliers. Um, what do you think about something like this going down to the high school level? Is, is this the sort of education that you think younger people could really benefit from? Because it seems like it's a, a really valuable skill. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would like to see young people getting started even earlier. I had no exposure to business really until I got out of college. And uh, so I didn't even know what it was all about or what an entrepreneur was. I mean, you hear the word, but you don't really know. So yeah, if high schoolers were introduced to whether it's real estate development or how to run a business, that would be something uh, very helpful, I believe. So what's your earliest memory of, of, of getting involved in real estate? And, and why, why real estate? Because you have so many different uh, businesses going on. So a, a couple things happen. Uh, one is, and, and I remember this from college, and I tell this story in Jumpstart, I remember uh, asking my father, I'm not sure why I said it, but asking my father, um, you know, if you were to bring up your three sons again, what would you do differently? Without missing a beat, he said, I would make you more handy. So that uh, tells me how unhandy I was okay. in college. <laughs> I mean, I couldn't swing a hammer. I couldn't do anything. Okay. Um, so a couple things happened after I graduated. Uh, one is I was really inspired by my landlady in Fishtown, who with her own two hands renovated six single-family homes in Fishtown. Um, and I just thought, how cool is that to take, you know, a vacant, deteriorated, blighted property and make something great and then letting someone live there? I like, I want to be a part of that. That's when I looked around and picked Germantown to start investing in. Second thing that happened, and I don't tell the story very often, but I got involved with a group called Jobs with Peace. And uh, what we did, it might have been illegal, um, but we um, uh, broke into some VA-owned uh, homes that were uh, vacant, deteriorated, blighted, and put homeless families in there and then helped support those homeless families you know, with food and whatever they needed. It wasn't a long-term fix, but for me, I, I can still feel it. I remember the anger. I had that government was sitting on blighted properties and there was homeless families that needed a place to live. And that got me thinking, well, okay, we could we can do these actions and that's good short term and you've made an issue out of it. Or you can get involved in real estate and actually start renovating these blighted properties and, and, and rent or sell them to people. And the, the really fascinating thing about real estate is that it's highly unlikely that the value of a property or a piece of land will go to zero. Right. Right. <laughs> haven't so, seen it yet. Haven't seen it yet. So even though when people talk about, oh, it's risky, it's risky. Yeah, yeah, there's risk involved in everything. But if you know what you're doing, you can go into it 
um, mitigating that risk. That's exactly right. So, and, and that's what people, and we talk a lot about that in Jumpstart, is how to uh, measure risk, how to mitigate, mitigate and reduce risk. And that's a big, people don't realize that's a big part of real estate development. So there's absolutely always risk, but if you can reduce that risk, and one good way to do that that we talk a lot about in Jumpstart is by focusing on cash flow and not appreciation. Because if you focus on appreciation, as you know, and the next recession or economic downturn hits, you're going to lose it. And I've seen a lot of my colleagues lose their shirts. But you sound a little bit like a heretic, <laughs> right? I mean, because yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of a lot of people that go into the real estate, they they're they're hoping they're hoping for that appreciation. Yeah, yeah. They they want to they want to get that. Hope equals risk, right? Right, you know, right, right. Just, I, I'm just I'm just saying that people aren't wrong by right, focusing right. on appreciation, but they're also thinking short term because it's a matter of time before. Uh, economic downturn does happen again. I don't know if it's three months from exactly. now or three years from now, but it's going to happen. It's going to happen. So it's happen. be careful. And I have uh, seen my company go through two economic downturns, and they're very uncomfortable, uh, particularly the 07, 08, 09 recession. Mm-hmm. Um, but we made it through. Um, right, right. And we're better for it today. Right. Right. And that's the other thing, too. It's like if something is cash flowing in good times and if you can, you know, have that buffer, um, you know, that can definitely get you through the get you through the hard times. Other thing, too, is that in other parts of the country that really banked on appreciation for their real estate and, you know, the properties weren't cash flowing at all during the good times. It was just a pure appreciation play. I mean, that was a catastrophic falling off a cliff. Exactly. And, but then in the middle of the country, Ohio, you know, you know, parts of Pennsylvania, I mean, it just kind of chugga, 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 chugga. Right. You know, no, no, none of this volatility. That's right. That's why we like slow, steady growth rather than fast, explosive growth. Um, but yeah, I had friends uh, in the late 80s who were uh, investing in condos and, and houses in Center City with uh, negative cash flows. I mean, I was blown away. And they said, well, but it's appreciating. Well, it didn't didn't continue forever. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So, so, Ken, what's on the horizon for Philly Office Retail and Jumpstart Germantown in 2019? I know this year is shaping up to be a big one. Yeah, this is you. by far our biggest year ever. We're so excited about our work around Wayne Junction. Um, we just opened up our first tenant forefront um, on Berkeley Street and 4,000 square feet. Philly Bread just started baking this week at the corner of Germantown oh, and Berkeley. Um, these were vacant, deteriorated factory buildings that we have fully renovated. Um, we just broke ground last month on Attic Brewing and Deke's Barbecue, which is coming. And My offices are moving to 4701 Germantown in May, June, and I'm really excited about that, not just because we're going to have more space and I won't have four staff working out of uh, my conference room, but um, also because the first and second floor of of this former school building is going to be Jumpstart Germantown co-working space. Great. Um, And we will finally have a home. Yay, that's great, because right now it's kind of um, a roving a roving location for the, That's for correct. the classes, right? Yeah, okay. uh, Philadelphia University, Jefferson University, I guess I'm supposed to say, okay. um, has been very generous uh, giving us some great space. 
But once we have our own home, we can do weekly programming there. Maybe we can even have the radio show there. Oh, that'd be great. Yeah. That'd be fabulous. Yeah. So, a soundproof booth. <laughs> <laughs> and, and before I forget, I just want to say, Alina, thank you so much no, for taking on this thank project. It's, it's been wonderful. No, this has been great for me, too. Um, we're looking forward to making these sessions into podcasts, which are now or will be uh, very soon on our website, which is jumpstartgermantown.com. Uh, the other website for a uh, citywide program is gojumpstart.org. Well, this has been an incredible interview. Um, obviously, we're going to have Ken come back again and again and again. It. And so, but folks, we have been talking with the godfather of Philly real estate. Godfather. <laughs> Uh, Ken Weinstein of Philly Office Retail and the founder of the fabulous Jumpstart Germantown program. Well, dear listeners, we're at the end of another show, and I will be back again next Friday, same time, same channel, with another interview. So until then, have a great weekend, and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.